Well, we've got our Bible reading, and our Bible reading is from the book of Jude, or the epistle of Jude. Jude was a brother of Jesus Christ. Jude's father was Joseph. Jude's mother was Mary. And he was the brother of Jesus. Jesus also had another brother called James. And Jude, in humility and lowliness, when he writes this epistle, doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus, but the brother of James. So Jude, verse 1, we'll read the whole epistle as it's only very short. (coughs) Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed to profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others to their own advantage. Get the impression Jude wasn't too impressed with those kind of people. Verse 17. But you, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the epistle of Jude, and we're going to look this morning at verses 20 to 23, which I hope will provide us with something of a kind of theme for our church life for this coming year. When Mary gave birth to Jesus, Mary was a virgin. But Mary didn't stay a virgin all her life. She had sex at least six more times. She had sons and she had daughters. Her sons' names were James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. How many daughters she had, we don't know. But it was more than one, because it's in the plurals in John's Gospel, sons and daughters. So that means that the Lord Jesus Christ grew up in a very full household. There was himself, the firstborn. There was his mother, Mary. And there was his stepfather, Joseph. And then there were at least six siblings. So Jesus had around nine people in his family home. We don't know how big the house was. We don't know how many stories it might have had. But we know it must have been a very busy, noisy household. Now, what did Jesus' younger brothers and sisters notice in him as they grew up? He, He was the obvious the oldest one, obviously. So what do they note about Jesus, their older brother? What did his sisters note about him? And and what did his brothers note about him? What did Jude note about him? How do they see Jesus behaving in the house? How do they see him with regard to his mom and his stepdad? How, How do they hear him talk to his brothers and sisters What was his attitude like? What was his manner like? What kind of words did he use? What what did they notice? 
Well, let me tell you about one thing that his brother Judas noticed. Uh, Judas is not Judas Iscariot. It's another kind of Judas. It was a popular name in those days. But it seems in order to avoid any confusion, they shortened their brother's name to Jude rather than Judas. And it was that Jude that wrote this epistle. What did he notice about his older brother Jesus? Well, there's one word here in this epistle that comes out again and again. And it's the word mercy. So it's on our screen, and it says this. Verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23, to others show mercy mixed with fear. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. So Jude starts off this little epistle with the word mercy. And it's a kind of melodic line that runs through the epistle right to the end. Mercy. And that's what Jude is wanting us to be. Merciful people. What is mercy? Well, it's uh, defined as follows, again on the screen. Mercy can be defined as kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. There are around about uh, 11,000 Bournemouth supporters that really want mercy, kindness or goodwill from other teams. Kindness. What is kindness? Goodwill. What is goodwill? Well, whatever kindness is and whatever goodwill is, it's actually an act of mercy when we show, when we are kind to someone and when we do them good. And we are to show that mercy, that kindness and goodwill towards miserable and afflicted people. But not just to say, they're there, everything will be all right. But also added to that is this desire to help someone in their misery or their affliction, to bring them out of that misery and affliction, or to walk with them through that misery and affliction. Mercy. Now Jude noticed this in his older brother Jesus as Jesus grew up in family life. Maybe he saw it also not just in the, in the home, in the household, Maybe he saw his older brother in society, in the neighborhood, having mercy upon people. Uh, maybe he heard the Lord Jesus asking, who's in trouble? Who's afflicted? Who's in need of mercy? Who can I help? Who can I show kindness to? And who can I help out of that misery? Mercy. Mercy is what Jesus showed. Mercy is what God has shown to each one of us this morning. Mercy. Sin damages us. And sin makes us miserable and afflicted. And sin means that we need help. So when God shows us mercy, he's doing exactly what that statement says. He's coming to us in the damage that sin has caused us through and brought us into misery and affliction. And God has come to us to show kindness and goodwill 
And he has helped us in our misery and affliction caused by sin. Psalm 103. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Ephesians 2. Like all people, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So this mercy, this goodwill, this kindness, this help that God has given to us in Christ, in our misery and affliction, is a real thing. And every child of God acknowledges that. When we cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, he does. Mercy is what God wants us to show to other people. If we've received mercy from God, then he wants us to show that mercy to others. Jesus once told a story about a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was a really dangerous road full of robbers and thieves. Not many people would make that journey on their own. But this man had to for some reason or another. So down he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. And sure enough, halfway down the road, he fell into the hands of robbers. Now these robbers didn't just snatch his money. They were mean men. So they actually beat him up. And Jesus said, they left this man half dead. He was miserable and afflicted. A, a, a priest came down that road, said Jesus. But the priest saw this man lying on the side of the road and thought, I'm not helping. Crossed over the road and carried on his journey. And then a, a Levite, a kind of a, a religious fanatic guy, he also comes down the road and he sees this poor man that had been beaten up and mugged and he thinks, I'm not helping. So he crosses over the other side of the road as well. But then Jesus said there was another man that came along, a Samaritan. And this man, the Samaritan, came along. He saw the guy in his misery and affliction and in need of help. And the Samaritan comes along to this guy. He bends down on his knees. He gets out some ointment to rub in all the wounds. He bandages him up and he puts him on his own donkey and he takes him to an inn and he pays for his stay until he recovers. And then Jesus asked the crowd, which of these three men had goodwill and kindness towards the beaten up man? And someone in the crowd said, the one who had mercy on him. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. To go to each other in our misery and affliction, to go to each other in our need, and to show kindness and goodness to each other. And walk with each other through that misery or to help each other out of that misery. God has had mercy on us. So let's have mercy on one another. Let this be almost like a church motto. I've never ever said let's have a church motto at the beginning of every year. Because I know that we'll forget it come the summer. So I've never done it before. But for some reason, this has really been impressed upon my heart this past week. Well, even a little bit before that, when I had a quiet time in the book of Jude a month or so ago. There's this whole idea of God being merciful to me, so I really ought to, ought to be merciful to other people. So, 
So let's, let's have this in our minds. Let's have this in our hearts. Let's have this in our actions and our, our meetings and our behavior and our relationships. Let's remember God's mercy to you. So be merciful to that other person. And you know, Jude gives us three practical ways in which we can be merciful to people. <coughs> and the first way is this. Next slide. We can be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Do you know, sometimes in uh, our church that we would never want to confess to someone that we're having doubts. Because we think, oh, if, if I confess that to someone, they will think, what a bad Christian I am. And they say, well, I already know you're a really bad Christian, so just tell me the truth. <laughs> we, we, we hide, don't we? We hide behind all kinds of things as a defense mechanism so that nobody can really get inside us. We we'll deflect things onto other people. They ask, how are you? Fine, how are you? We, we wouldn't confess our doubts. But we do have doubts. Come on, sometimes you read the Bible and you think, really? Did that really happen? Or you're going through an experience which is really nasty and you think, is God really good? Don't you? <laughs> you probably do. Well, it's not unusual to have those doubts. And when you find someone with those doubts, don't just say to them, pull yourselves together. Have mercy on them. Have mercy to those who doubt. Come alongside them, because doubt always makes us misery uh, and afflicted. We're never happy when we've got our doubts. We're never rejoicing when we've got our doubts, because we're struggling with those doubts. But don't come down heavy upon that person. Don't condemn them for their doubts. Treat them as you would want them to treat you if you told them that you had doubts. Merciful. Be kind to them. Show goodwill towards them. Help them in that affliction. And that might mean spending time with them. It might mean reading the Bible with them. It might mean praying with them. It might mean just taking them out for a coffee or something or just being with them. But whoever... It is, be merciful to those who doubt. The second way that we can show mercy to each other is this. There are those who are on the verge of hell. Be merciful to them. Verse 23. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Jude has mentioned in some rather confusing, complicated verses earlier on in this epistle about the eternal fire. And by this we know that he means hell and hell itself. Uh, Jesus spoke of eternal fire prepared for the devil. The book of Revelation speaks about the lake of fire. And whatever that metaphor means, it means that it's terrible. And it means it's a place to be avoided. Hell is not a happy place. It is a place to be avoided. And there are many people who are speeding towards hell, the eternal fire. Some people knowingly are doing that. They say, I don't care what happens to me when I die. Be merciful to them. Others unknowingly are on their way to the verge of hell. 
and any day now will drop into him. And it's a terrible, unthinkable, solemn thing, this place called hell. So Jude brings us this dramatic picture of a Christian snatch squad. You see them going towards the lake of fire, and you snatch them from it. You pull them away from it. You save them from that eternal fire. And I am so glad that there were people back in the day for me who snatched me away from my highway to hell and put me on a stairway to heaven. This is what church life and why we exist on earth. We, we exist here that we might actually snatch people from the verge of hell. There are many things that go on in church life. There are many things that happen. And there are many things that we get all tied up about, all hot under the collar about, all cross about. But we forget that people are going to hell. The, the width of the seats and the color of the building and the times of the services and the musical instruments that we use. Really, ultimately, what does that matter when people are going to hell? Be merciful to those who are on their way to the lake of fire. Be merciful to them and snatch them from that hell. And that's our evangelism and outreach and ministry. Third practical thing James tells Jude, I keep calling him James, Jude tells us is this. There are those who seem to be hardened in their sin. Be merciful to them. Verse 23. Two others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Well, I wonder who Jude has in mind here. Is he talking about believers or unbelievers? Is he talking about false teachers that he's written of quite deeply in this letter? Or is he talking about backslidden Christians who have gone off the rails? Who he's talking about? In one sense, it doesn't matter who he's talking about. Now, if you come across someone who is hardened in their sin who seems to be turning away from God, then show them mercy. Show them mercy and seek to bring them back to God. There's a, 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 an illustration that Jude uses that I can't fully understand, but it doesn't seem to be a very nice illustration. It talks about clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Uh, I, it's not really a nice picture to have before your Sunday lunch. But clothing stained by corrupted flesh, it's, it's not nice. Uh, and Jude seems to be saying that, that the clothing is ourselves, and the flesh is the problem, and our sin stains us. So when you come across someone then who has uh, fallen into maybe immorality or heresy, or the terrible sin of self-righteousness, when you come across someone falling into any kind of sin that stained them and shamed them, don't condemn them. Show mercy mixed with fear. Why mixed with fear? Well, mixed with fear because there is a danger 
that in showing that mercy, which is not kind of a, a one-off drop in the ocean, to show mercy, you've, you've got to show real mercy, you've got to spend time with people. And, and the danger is that if you show mercy to someone whose uh, clothing is stained by corrupted flesh, that you fall into their pattern of life. You become like them. So be afraid of that. Show mercy mixed with fear. Be wise. And, and also, it means here that there's, a, it's really strange, but there's an element of hatred. Hating. So Christians are told to hate something. We're to hate even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Notice, we don't hate the person. We don't hate the sinner. We love and show mercy to the sinner. But we hate what they've done. And we hate the consequences of what they've done. So this doesn't mean that we ignore what they've done. It doesn't mean to say that we allow people to get away with anything and everything. No, it means that we have to address wrongdoing. We have to address sin. We have to address that. But we do it in a merciful manner. You get it? C.S. Lewis uh, once said, Something like this. He, he said, um, many people say that uh, you, you cannot love the sinner but hate the sin. C.S. Lewis says, I can do that easily because I do it all the time with myself. <laughs> so let's learn this mercy. Mercy to people who seem to have fallen off the rails or who are hardened in sin. Don't squash that person. Show mercy to that person. Kindness, goodwill to the miserable, the afflicted, and help them. Well, if God has shown mercy to us, let's show mercy to others. In these three areas, and there's more beside, but these three areas, let's show mercy to others. But you know, one of the startling qualities missing from many Christians in evangelical churches is the practice of mercy. There's lots of ministry commitments that go on. There's lots of things that takes place. There's lots of energy that are used. There's lots of songs that are sung. There's all kinds of nice, good, great things that take place. But sometimes the missing element is mercy. One unbeliever once said, she was a prostitute actually, she once said to a, a certain clergyman, if I become a Christian and if I fall back into sin, let me come back amongst the prostitutes, not the church, because the prostitutes would have mercy upon me where the church would eat me alive. Quite telling, isn't it? How do we treat our own wounded how do we treat them? Have mercy on people. We can be great at standing for the truth. We can be brilliant in discerning moral issues. We can be correct in telling what is right and wrong. We can be active in signing our petitions and going on our protests. But showing mercy to one another. James, Jude. James was the brother. Jude says... Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. So let Hook Church throughout 2023, let there be 
buckets of mercy, buckets full of mercy in our families. Let there be cascades of mercy running through our church, and let there be waterfalls of mercy flowing through the neighborhood. Jude starts off his epistle in verse 2. We have received mercy from God in abundance. And he finishes his epistle in just about verse 22. Let us show mercy to one another. So the theme, let us show mercy to one another as, as God has shown mercy to us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us where we have not shown mercy. Forgive us when we have hurt someone instead of helping them. Forgive us when we've come down heavy in condemnation instead of merciful in application of help. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting that you have had mercy upon us and just taking it for granted. Help us to appreciate, to understand, and to take in more and more this year your mercy to us. And may our response be not just a thank you, Lord, but may it be that we show mercy to one another. Help us not to be like the priest that passed by or the Levite that crossed over the road. Help us to be like the good Samaritan who came to where people in need were and showed mercy. May we be known as a merciful church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.